You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Odessa, Texas. You can connect with us online by visiting RedeemerChurchOdessa.org. Good morning. Uh, my name is Robert. Uh, be, I'm going to be reading Luke uh, chapter 2, 8 through 20. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was the angel and a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Thank you, Robert. Hey, good morning. Um, my name's Tanner House. I'm the lead pastor here. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, if you're a guest, there is a Connect card under your chair. If you would take a second, fill that out, uh, return it to us. Let us know how we can serve you. Let us know how we can get you plugged into the life of the body. And if you need a Bible, you can raise your hand. Um, we got some new ones. My son Levi's back there. He'd be happy to hook you up. Um, and if you don't have a Bible, that's yours to keep. If you're on your phone or your tablet or something, we're, we're in the uh, ESV. Um, real quick, the, the person singing with me this morning is my neighbor. Her name's Brianne. She's on loan to us from Emmanuel Baptist here in town, um, our friends in the gospel. And so thank you, Hunter and Brianne, for being here. She's also Daniel's sister. Daniel's a member here. And so that's why they're back there. It's a little family reunion back there in the back. So... Uh, thanks for helping us out this morning, Brianne. So we're going to continue in our Advent series this week. Um, Advent is a Latin word that just means coming. Um, scripture teaches us that there are two Advents of Jesus Christ. The first one is at his birth or incarnation, and the second one is when Christ returns. So at, at this time of year, in this season, preceding Christmas, we will set aside time to remember and celebrate the first advent of Jesus while looking forward with eager expectation for the second advent. So this year we're looking at the themes of advent. Um, last week we talked about hope. Um, we have hope because Christ has entered into the world, and today we are going to talk about peace. So now when we think of peace, 
We tend to, or at least maybe nerdy me, tends to think about peace in terms of like geopolitical peace. You know, like when a nation is at war, they are, by the very spirit of the definition of peace, acting in the exact opposite of a peaceful nation. Does that make sense? Like, they're not engaging in peace if they are at war. Um, and that's certainly a part of what it, what it means to be at peace or to be peaceful. Um, that's like geopolitical peace. There's also like relational peace with each other or interpersonal peace with ourselves. Um, peace is the opposite of, of strife. Do you understand that? You see that? Okay, cool. So for our purposes, I want to call us all to consider this this morning. In the season of gift giving that we're in, we have been given the greatest gift of all, Jesus Christ, who was born in order to die for the sins of man. So we give gifts at Christmas because on the very first Christmas, we were given the greatest gift of all. We were given a Savior who came to die that we might live. And in doing so, if your faith is in Christ Jesus, if you have truly submitted yourself to the lordship of Jesus in your life, then you have peace with God, which, if you are a Christian, is the greatest news in all the world. If you're a repentant sinner, peace with God is the greatest news of all time. We have access to God. We have access to heaven. We have access to eternal life because by Jesus' birth and by Jesus' death and resurrection, the greatest two miracles ever, we have peace. So today, consider this. There are consequences for us because Jesus was born. These consequences are this. If you are a Christian, if you are a believer in Jesus, the consequences are only positive outcomes. There's faith. There's eternal life. There's eternal security in Christ. There's forgiveness for your sins. The Lord himself lives inside of you by his indwelling Holy Spirit. There is peace. Man, if you're not a Christian, the consequences are this. Eternal death in hell, eternal suffering in hell, eternal destruction separated from Christ and his goodness for all eternity. The exact opposite of peace. So this morning, I just want to invite you to think deeply about what you honestly believe about Jesus this morning. How you answer the questions of faith are the most important and significant questions in your life. Do you know the peace of God? If you claim to be a Christian, does your life reflect that you know the peace of God? God is the source of peace by the person of Jesus. And this person of peace, Jesus, has purchased our peace with God through himself. Therefore, we can have peace with God and peace with one another because of the work of Christ on the cross. So with that in view, let's pray and jump right into this text. Lord Jesus, we need you. Show us our great need for you this morning, Jesus. Thank you that our eternities are secure in you if we are in Christ, Lord. Thank you that you have purchased our peace with a pardon 
if we are in you, Christ. Lord, I pray that you would bring faith and encouragement where that's needed. Lord, and that you would bring conviction where that's needed. Call us to faith and dependency this morning. Church, if you're willing, I'd ask that you would pray for yourself. That the Lord would reveal to you if, in fact, you know the peace of God to you. That the Lord would impress on your heart a need for him. Lord, we love you. Help us to love you more. Lord, we trust you. Help us to trust you more. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Um, All right, so Luke chapter 2. We're actually going to set the scene for our encounter with the shepherds in a minute. Let's set the scene to, uh, to just kind of see what's, what's happening here. Luke chapter 2, we're going to actually start in verse 1. It says, In those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when um, Quirinus was the governor of, of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee and from the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. But there was no place for them in the inn. So my kids are homeschooled. They use this curriculum that uses music in order to brainwash the kids. I mean, help the kids remember facts and dates about history. They have this timeline song that starts at the creation of the world and ends at 9-11. It's like 13 years long. Um, Minutes, I mean, 13 minutes long. Um, Anyways, the songs get stuck in your head, and I think that's the point. My kids now know more history facts than I know because of this sing-song curriculum, and I actually have a minor in history. So um, anyways, I told Cosette that she could come up and sing it because uh, she's in that curriculum. So now you want to sing the time on song? Anyways, um, there's a whole group of us that are in this cult <laughs> of classical conversations homeschool curriculum. That's an endorsement. Um, maybe we'll be sponsored. But anyways, there's this one part in the song that's like, Caesar Augustus and the Pax Romana, and then it ends with like, Jesus the Messiah. Um, So that's the time of history that this is set in, um, kind of at the turn of the calendar from B.C. to A.D. Anyways, my kids are super embarrassed. (laughs) Uh, So this is the time of the Pax Romana. And this is a sort of an ironic thing for the Roman Empire to be labeled as. Pax means peace. So we have the peaceful Roman Empire. And it's true, if you look at history, that during this time, there was an unprecedented amount of peace between nations. There was little to no global conflict during this time. And there was a lot of economic prosperity... But what makes this so ironic is that this peace came at a horrific cost. The Romans were able to achieve peace and prosperity because they were the most powerful nation on the planet at the time. 
So they'd come in and plunder these nations and subjugate these nations. They would enslave their people and oppress the poor. And they ruled out of fear. So there was peace. Because any attempt of a coup was swiftly dealt with. The Romans were like masterful artists at executing criminals. They developed this form of execution where they would take criminals and nail them to wooden crosses. And execute these people in the most humiliating fashion. So for the Romans there was peace and there was prosperity And for others, there was fear and there was poverty. And the only real choice, if you're in the latter category, was to accept it. Caesar would provide peace to you just so long as it helped the empire and elevate his own glory. And so we're introduced at the beginning of Luke to this Jewish virgin who is also pregnant and her fiancé. And they take off to Bethlehem to be registered for the census because Joseph, the fiancé, was from the lineage of King David. And while they were in Bethlehem, it was time for the baby in Mary's womb to be born. She gave birth to a baby boy and wrapped him in swaddling clothes. These clothes were the kind usually reserved for dead bodies. And they laid them in a manger because there was no room for them elsewhere in the town. So there's this baby, born in poverty, born in obscurity. And then Luke takes us to another place in the story. Verse 8 in Luke chapter 2, it says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. So we have the benefit of knowing that this baby is Jesus. If you don't. This baby's Jesus. Um, However, at this point in the story, to the world, this baby is just a poor Jewish baby. A distant relative of a king whose family just went to pot after the king died, a few generations within the time of the king's death. But we also know that the Jews of the day have the benefit of the Old Testament, and they all knew it super well. And they knew that because of the prophecies given to them, that there was a child that was going to be born, a child of promise who would be the Messiah, one who would sit on the throne of David and rule and reign for all eternity. And on this night, God has kept his promises. But presently, the only people who knew that this baby has been born are the baby's mother and her fiance. And all of that is about to change. We're introduced to these shepherds. They're in their field, keeping, keeping watch over their sheep. This question does not get asked enough, in my opinion. Why are these guys the first that get to know? Why did God choose to bless them with this knowledge that Jesus had been born? Like, what makes these guys so special? The answer is nothing. Nothing. You see, we tend to romanticize shepherds, and I'm not really sure why, but these guys were not well thought of in society. They were Jews, and by nature of their job, they couldn't keep the Jewish customs well or keep them at all. They were rough-around-the-edges type guys, like the oil-filled roughnecks of the day. They were a despised class in society. Several commentaries even suggest that they are so looked down upon in society that they were not even allowed to give a testimony in the court of law. Nobody trusted them. And yet, 
It's these shepherds. It's these shepherds that God gives a great blessing to. It's the birth story of Jesus, who was born in obscurity, born and then placed in a feeding trough. And it shows us that Jesus came to dwell among sinners. He was born in humility, and this humility led him to the cross. And the shepherd's presence in the story as the first recipients of the good news that God in flesh had arrived shows us that salvation is available to even the most wretched sinners. Like everything else in the gospel, this story disrupts our expectations on what a king should be. This story disrupts our expectations on what a savior should be and who the kind of people are that should be the recipients of God's grace. We don't have a wealthy, religious, moral, upstanding person as the first recipient of this good news. We have lowly shepherds. We don't have a king in a palace. Man, we have a baby in a manger. Look at what happens. Verse 9. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear, and the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. All right, close your eyes if this helps. Like, just put yourself in that field real quick. You're in these shepherd sandals for a sec if you can do that. You're in this field. It's quiet except for the nightly sheepy noises, like the bleeding of sheep. Um, And all of a sudden, boom, it's brighter than any day. And there is an angel among you and your shepherd bros. And it's so bright with the manifestation of God's presence and God's power among you. And in verse 9 it says, they were filled with great fear. I think that's like the understatement of the century. I bet they were scared. And then in verse 10, the angel speaks and says, don't be afraid. Fear not. Yeah, okay. I'm not sure that that would be enough for me. An angel, bright, and now this angel is talking to me. But I wear skinny jeans, so, I mean, it's probably not going to be enough. But these shepherds, they're like real manly men, so maybe they were able to shake off their fear. The angel says, don't be afraid. I have good news for you. I have good news for you. I have the greatest news of all for you. The word in the Greek is evangelizo. It's where we get the word gospel from. The angel says, I have gospel for you. God is here to accomplish salvation by this baby. And this news will be the, of great joy, the angel says. And what greater joy could there possibly be? The news that God became a man showing yet again that God has kept his promise to rescue and redeem his people from their sin. Christian, this joy is ours in this way. If you are a believer in Jesus, then there is a realization of just how sinful you are. Um, Perhaps not fully, but at some level, if you are in Christ, you know, you have a knowledge that you need to be forgiven of your sin. You have a knowledge that you need Jesus. And if you're a believer in Jesus, that means the cross speaks a better word for you. In spite of how sinful you are, the cross speaks a better word of peace over you. 
The joy given to us by Christ is that we can be fully known, fully loved, and fully accepted by faith given to us to believe in Christ Jesus as our Savior. Look, man, Jesus knows it all. You know all the stuff up here that you would never share with another soul? Jesus knows. Everything you've ever done and ever will do, Jesus knows. And yet, he still came. And he still died for us. God himself is here to sacrifice himself, to sacrifice his one and only son, and to undo all the brokenness that sin has created. And this news is not for all people, but for all the people. The gospel is available. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and it is available by Christ Jesus alone. And this message must and will go to the ends of the earth. And there are those that will reject this message. And those that we reject this message will not experience this great joy. So what exactly is this message? Verse 11, it says, For unto you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and laying in a manger. Man, the first century Jews would grasp the significance of this. There's a baby. A baby born in Bethlehem. The Christ. All of this means that the promise is being fulfilled. The Messiah has come. One thing that's unique in these proclamations, though, is that they say a Savior who is Christ the Lord. One person. Savior Christ Lord. What is being said about this baby who has been born this day is that he is a great rescuer. A Savior. Meaning a deliverer. And so the implications are then that we need to be delivered, that we need to be rescued. The implications in this proclamation are that we actually need a Savior. And this deliverance is a spiritual redemption, meaning this, Jesus came to save us from sin and death. He came to rescue us from the power of Satan. He came to satisfy the wrath of God against sinful humanity, and he did so by dying on the cross as the perfect sinless sacrifice. And by the means of the resurrection, Jesus rose from the grave, and by the means of his resurrection, he accomplished the deliverance of our sinful souls. And now it's complete. The angel also tells the shepherd that this baby is the Christ. Now, Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's a title. It means Messiah, which means the one that, that God has promised to send. Literally, it means the anointed one. This moment was here that the Jewish nation had been waiting on for hundreds and hundreds of years. The angel is proclaiming that Jesus is the promised Messiah. And then the last thing he says, attributes to this baby, is that Jesus is Lord. That means this baby is God himself. One commentator said it like this. Jesus is the Lord Christ. It is an unprecedented title. It is the highest title he could be ascribed. This means that the sovereign God of the universe appears in flesh as the promised and anointed Savior. So then in order to confirm the accuracy of the angel's statement, he gives them a sign. In Bethlehem, there's going to be a baby. This baby is the king of the world. 
but he won't be robed in splendor. He will be wrapped in a burial shroud for common poor people, and he will be lying in the place where they feed the animals. Riken says this, The shepherds won't find the child couched in royal splendor as they might have expected, but lying in poverty. This was the humiliation of the incarnation. The Son of God humbled himself to save us. We can recognize Jesus in the same way that the shepherds recognized him, by his humility. When we see him wrapped in swaddling cloths of his humanity, and even more when we see him dying in the naked agony of the cross, we know that he is the Christ whom God has sent to save us. Man, Christ came in humility. Philippians 2 says he emptied himself. He humbled himself. He came and dwelt among us. He had everything in the heavenly realms. He existed in perfection because as God, he has always existed. Jesus knew heavenly perfection, and yet in love, he came in humility. And he had to in order to save us. He came and lived the life that we were called to live but couldn't and wouldn't and didn't because of our sin nature. Jesus came in humility to serve us and to save us. The angel has given them the news by himself, but now it's time to celebrate. So if you consider the roles of angels in the Old Testament, when we see angels in the Old Testament, they are always gathered and accompanied together, chanting praises to God. When you consider that Jesus is preeminent, which means he has always existed, like Colossians 1 tells us, um, like I read in the, in the call to worship, the angels know Jesus. The angels have been worshiping Jesus for all eternity. And here Jesus has been born. And I wonder, I wonder how much the angels knew and for how long, how long did they know. Regardless, look at, look at what Luke tells us takes place. Verse 13. And suddenly there was the, uh, with the angel... A multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. I want to come back to this in a second and drill down on a couple points for a minute, but let's just finish this text. This heavenly choir is dispersed and the shepherds are left alone in the field. Verse 15, it says, When the angels went away, from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went away with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. So we see this moment, this like, what are we waiting on? Let's go type moment. They take off. It's a several miles journey in the middle of the night. And with, with haste, the text tells us they are, they are moving to Bethlehem. And they found Mary and they found Joseph and they found the baby lying in the manger just like the angel had said. They shared this with those around what the angel had told them. They became essentially the first missionaries of the gospel. They carried the good news of Jesus to people who had yet to hear about this good news. They went away 
from the manger as believers in Jesus and as worshipers of the king. They are joining then with the angels in their anthem. So I'm going to slow down just for a second and consider the angels' anthem in light of this text as a whole. This is a very theologically weighty verse. Verse four. Hey, Welcome back, buddy. Uh, verse 14, it says, uh, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Man, God sent his son into the world. God sent his son into the world knowing full well that Jesus would be despised and rejected by the very ones he came to save. And he came joyfully. In order to undo the curse of sin and death, Jesus came and by his death purchased our peace with God and peace from our enemies. This is God's grace on display. Our only response then is worship and adoration. Our only proper response then is to give to Jesus the type of honor and the type of praise that he so rightly deserves. The angels know this, and there are examples in this. They say glory to God in the highest, meaning this, as much as is possible, may God be glorified. And they say this because he is deserving of all praise and glory and honor. All of it is due him. J.C. Ryle says, Now is come the highest degree of glory to God by the appearing of his Son, Jesus Christ, in the world. He, by his life and death on the cross, will glorify God's attributes, justice, holiness, mercy, and wisdom as they were never glorified before. John Piper says it like this, to glorify God means that we give credit where credit is due. So we have this angelic anthem, and it continues in praise. By God's glory, by God being glorified in and through the work of the Son, there is now peace on earth among those with whom God is pleased. And God is pleased with believers. Those whom he has called unto salvation. And therefore, as God's people, chosen and blameless, God's people, we are called to glorify God with our lives. By our lives, we are called to give credit where credit is due, and we do so by honoring God, by faith in Christ, for salvation and for the forgiveness of our sins, and by obedience to the word of God. There is peace with God for believers because of the cross and resurrection of Jesus. And that peace ought to lead you to worship. It ought to lead you to worship God by living for God. The word used for peace is the equivalent to the Hebrew word shalom. This is the shalom of God, which means peace in total for all who are saved by faith in Christ. The cross of Christ has purchased for believers peace with God. And as Riken says, until we have peace with God, we cannot have any true peace at all. Listen to me, man. We try to find peace outside of Christ. 
Every single one of us at one point or another is guilty of this. Are you consumed by the cares of the world and the worries of your life? Are you consumed by living for yourself? Are you filling yourself up with the sinful things of this world? Are you chasing comfort and security and meaning outside of the will of God? Are you running to sex? Are you running to alcohol? Are you running to consumerism through massive credit card debt? Are you gossiping about others in order to elevate yourself or whatever else it is? That's the thing about sin. It always takes you further and further and further away from the promises of God than you ever thought possible. So because of our sin, we needed the peace of God purchased for us. Listen, sin is more than just breaking rules. Sin is treasonous rebellion against a holy God. And because of our sin, we deserve judgment. But Jesus came. Jesus came, and Jesus died in our place, and in that one act, he paid our debts. He paid our debts that were in place because of our sin. He paid our debts, completed by the means of his resurrection, by his death. Jesus has purchased our peace with God himself. Now, when God looks at believers in Jesus, he no longer sees our sin or our treasonous rebellion. He sees Christ's blood interceding for us. And we can live at peace with God who is at peace with believers by the forgiveness of sins being purchased for us. This peace with God ought to lead us to firm assurance. Peace with God means that we have been reconciled back to God by faith in Christ. And therefore, as we worship God for his life, for his death, for his resurrection that has purchased our salvation, we can be assured that God is for us. Christian, God is for you. Because Jesus was born, God is for you. Because Jesus was born, our salvation can be completed. There's a cross. Man, God's sovereign work in salvation is in view here. The angels are saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom God is graciously chosen unto salvation. If you are a Christian, God's sovereign delight rests upon you, and God is pleased with you. Therefore, if you are in Christ, you have a true and lasting peace. There is nothing in us that deserves this gift of peace. When left to ourselves, we will never choose God on our own. We will always choose ourselves, and we will always choose our sin over God. And yet, if you are in Christ, Christ is patient, and Christ is loving, and Christ forgives even the most wayward sinners. Listen to me, struggling sinners and saints in here this morning. In Christ... There is peace. There is peace with God. There's peace with God for our eternities. And there is peace with God and peace from God for our todays. When we come to God by faith in Christ, he gives us his peace. And yet, 
We often fail to rest in this peace by being anxious about the future or being anxious about today or about this relationship or by our jobs or by our finances or by people's perceptions of us. And what this communicates is a lack of trust in God to keep his promises. When we fail to remember the saving work of Jesus to us, when we fail to remember to trust in God for our two days, we rob ourselves of this joy that comes from his peace. Christian, Christ has called you to trust him. He hasn't called you to easy. He's called you to trust. And Jesus has become our warrior, warring against sin and warring against our enemies. So when we feel that lack of peace in our life, Christian, your response isn't to like try to fix it. It's to stop and pray and seek the God of comfort who calms our fears, who calms our doubts, because he is a God of peace. So we don't need to worry about how God will provide for us because he's already provided himself. And we don't need to worry how we're going to solve our own problems because God has already solved our biggest problem by becoming sin for us. And we don't need to despair because our hope is in Christ, because Jesus has paid our debts, and therefore Jesus is enough for us. Colossians 1, 19 and 20 says, For in him, that's Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. So we have a choice. We can respond in faith to the great God of the universe, the king of the world who humbled himself and became a baby born of a virgin, living a perfect, sinless life, and dying in our place. We can follow this Jesus. We can follow his word to us by faith and obedience to him. We can trust in his sacrifice for salvation, and we can know that Jesus is enough for us, or we can harden our hearts. And we can have no peace with God and no peace in this life, and we can continue to live for ourselves and dwell in our sin. What the story of the shepherds teach us is that God is pleased to use people who respond in faith. The most outcast, the most wayward people are not beyond the saving work of Jesus, and that includes any one of us. Christian, are you troubled by the cares of the world? Are you trying to fix all of your problems instead of resting in confidence that Jesus is for you? Peace. Peace. By grace, peace. This peace is available to us. And praise be to God, it is not found inside of us. We cannot earn God's favor by any amount of good works or moral living. You don't have to clean yourself up in order for God to love you and accept you. Man, all you have to do is confess your neediness to him. Confess your need to Jesus to save you and forgive you. And in him there's peace. Because of the blood of Jesus, he is pleased with repentant, with repentant sinners. So the response this morning is to repent and believe by faith in Christ. Peace. Let's pray.